Thanks for joining me this week on the show. I am thrilled to have you back for a little exploration into how we can build, how we can foster, how we can sustain happiness in our lives. And if happiness is a muscle that we can build, what are the exercises that are the most effective and powerful for you? Let's take a look. So glad to have you with me. Living in a stressful world doesn't mean you have to give up on happiness. Instead, you can shift your perspective of stress and discover how to live your life in flow. Welcome to Happified. I'm your host, Susie Vine. Join me for inspiration and interviews with folks who are shining their light in the world in the areas of positive mindset, health, and wellness. I'm so happy to have you here. Welcome back and thank you for joining me this week on the show. I am thrilled to have you with me for another solo inquiry or exploration on topics relating to and circling around stress and fostering more happiness in your life. And it is the final week of April. I've been observing this stress awareness month this year, a first one, even though this podcast has been coming to you now for almost three years and having some fun with these topics. And you might have noticed that I took last week off as a part of my continuing growth and journey, self-exploration in not stressing myself out, frankly. And I had a fun weekend getaway. I'll tell you a little bit more about that in the conversation that I continue and I'm about to include you in as we move forward. But it's good to be back. It's good to step away and get some fresh ideas, fresh perspectives, and come back really excited to share with you what has been on my mind over this last week. And I'd love to hear how this lands with you, how it resonates, what comes up, any questions, your own personal experience, or if you'd look like tips or insights, I invite you to join the conversation on happifiedlife.com. You can leave a comment there below the video and audio bites for this podcast. And you're always welcome to join me in the Facebook group, Live With Less Stress, where I share little tidbits, insights, things that capture my attention and try to engage with the community so we can all together look at ways that we can foster our own happiness and stop cultivating stress in our lives. It's time to switch the gas tank from running on stress, from using that as the motivation to whip ourselves into shape and move instead over to feeling drawn to, feeling magnetized towards our goals because they're so aligned. They're so connected with who we are and who we want to be, that any hard work that comes along with that overall at the finish line is a pleasure to look back on. We are not in the practice. I have given up the game of grinding things out in the hopes of finding that breakthrough of reaching that finish line and then giving myself permission to have fun. I think it's really important to have fun right now. And so that's what I want to talk about today in this episode. It's all about fostering fun, really digging into discovering what lights you up. Because as I have discovered through these last several years, diving deep into this work, as I've discovered in my own personal journey, and in conversations with friends as well as clients, it's not always as clear-cut as you might think. It's not always as easy to know what lights us up, what brings us joy or happiness or merely a deeply seated contentment that lets us rest easy at the end of the day. What is that for you? 
I think that's a million dollar question. So come along with me. I'm glad to have you here as I stir the pot a little bit, see what comes up, see if you get some new ideas as to where you could be finding and cultivating more fun, more happiness in your life. I'm happy to be your wing girl and I'm thrilled to have you with me. If you haven't thought about it before now until I was talking about it, what is it that makes you smile? Do some things come right to mind or is it something that you have to let the wheels creak back into motion and think about what is it that lights you up? What brings you joy? What makes you feel like I was just saying, happiness can be triggering. So maybe happy isn't the right word, but think about experiences or situations, memories in which you feel deeply satisfied. When you feel content and at peace, when you feel fulfilled or hopeful, or inspired. If you don't have a notebook or a pen, or maybe you want the notes app on your phone as long as you're listening along, I hope that you will take some notes because it is a journey of exploration to find out what these things are for us. Because what we see broadcast in the world, what we see brings people joy on social media or as shown on television, doesn't resonate with you. You are unique. You are you. You have your own history and your own future. And what aligns for others is not designed to align for you unless you're buying what they're selling. <laughs> and I think we get to break free of a lot of that marketing and psychological manipulation. So as we explore through this episode, think about what those things are. When is the last time you did something from that list, from these experiences or memories that bring you happiness or contentment, satisfaction, pride in yourself. When is the last time you did one of those things for yourself? Go ahead and write that down. I'll play along and I'll share these comments in the Facebook group as after I get this episode posted. I love to revisit this as I'm editing. I'm like, oh, that was really interesting what I said there. So <laughs> I get a lot out of reviewing these and I hope you enjoy watching them the first time around. If this resonates with you, please feel free to share with a friend, leave a comment or review on Apple or wherever you're catching the podcast so that it's easier for other people to find it and to listen along and join this less stress movement. So today I'm going to be drawing a lot from the book by Sonia Lubomirsky. She's a wonderful researcher in the field of positive psychology, and her book is called The How of Happiness, A New Approach to Getting the Life You Want. And this by Sonia Lubomirsky. Again, I'll have a link to find that book, paperback or Kindle, whatever works for you in the show notes. But what she says in her research was really eye-opening when it went live, if you will, several years back. What she found in her research was that up to about 50% of people's happiness, contentment, satisfaction, their positivity set point, if you will, up to about 50% of that comes from what they term genetics. And we'll dive into that a little more deeply in a minute, but let's say 50% is the way that you are designed to be. You are happy, you are more reserved, you are more concerned, you are more critical. These things come by nature or by nurture. We'll take a closer look. Beyond that 50%, just 10%, and this might be a surprisingly low number for you, only 10% of our happiness or satisfaction comes from 
the trappings of life, right? Our situation where we are living, the work that we are doing, the people we are with. And this is pretty shocking, right? You would not think that only 10% of your happiness is indicated by your current situation and state, but this is what they find in their research. Because we are masters at becoming acclimated. We adapt. We get used to the pay raise, the new house, the new car, what have you. And we are looking for the next thing, right? We are rather insatiable beings that way. So that's why this surprising number, just 10% of our happiness comes from the situation in which we find ourselves in life. So if you're thinking that money does buy happiness, that's where your happiness is hiding out. Let this inspire you to get a little more creative in your thinking. And so we're about 40% left. That remaining 40% of people's happiness in the way that they measure themselves and their satisfaction with life and their positivity set point, 40% of that comes from the daily practices, the things that people do every day that cultivate satisfaction and happiness that help them feel happier in their lives. And so the book, The How of Happiness, really takes a closer look at how different people can find what works for them. Everybody's looking for a roadmap, aren't we? I think that I'm fostering an idea, a germ for a book that's a self-care, choose your own adventure guide. So you can really dial in what works for you and find some inspiration if you're feeling a little bit stuck. And this book is what Sonia has created to that regard. So what she's done is she's got a bit of a character survey in there. So you can find some of the things that you like, that you don't, the activities that you do or that you avoid. And then she has suggestions for you where you can go and dig more deeply into one or some of these happiness practices. Because as Sean Aker found in his research in positive psychology, engaging in consistent daily practices helps to train your brain, literally rewire your brain to feel more happy, more content, more satisfied with your life. This neuroplasticity that we have at our access is extraordinary and a tool that we really should be learning how to harness. If you want to live healthier, if you want to live happier, if you want to enjoy all of your days, not just this one that you're in, but also the ones that are coming up down the line, it really helps to start up leveling your habits. And so whether that is for your physical health, for your mental health, for your emotional health, if you can find one thing to integrate, one thing to work on until you feel more confident, till you've mastered that, you've brought that into your daily pattern, and then find one more thing that you'd like to optimize, that you'd like to up-level, this pattern of growth, this cumulative growth is really going to change the entire trajectory of your life. So by the end of this episode, I'll have some ideas that I have collected specifically from Sonia's work and other research that I have dug through, but I invite you to choose one thing in this regard, or if your physical health is a sticking point for you right now, choose one thing that you can start to optimize your physical health so that you can find the bandwidth to start optimizing your emotional health so you can feel happier. Because I really do believe that although not everyone is starting from the same playing field, some people have different genetics and are less inclined to be naturally happy, we can start to create 
We can optimize our playing field and we have the right to look for solutions, to look for the players, the coaches, the providers that we can bring onto our team to help solve the setbacks or limitations that we may encounter that not everyone else does. Instead of saying, this isn't fair, it's never gonna work out for me, let's start turning the tables. Let's start looking for a game plan and a way that we can move forward and enjoy the process and feel exponentially better on the other side. We'll go back and we rewind just a little bit. We're talking about the nature of positivity, those influences in why some people are happy and some people aren't. Um, and as I was just saying, some people are not genetically as inclined to be happy as Dr. Lubomirsky says in her book. And so let's look at that. Do we mean genetically really? Is there a gene for happiness? There could be, there could be because depression and other mental issues do, we are finding now as we're digging more deeply into our genetic sequence, some of those do have codes, right? People are better at creating serotonin, better at creating dopamine, better at taking them up in those neural pathways or better at leaving them available or breaking them down. People have different capacities, right? So Inherently, there is a genetic tendency towards being happy. But I also think that if your parents are happy, you are more likely to be happy. And that could be nurture or the way that you're raised by those people as much as it is nature, by your body's ability to detoxify, to create, or to utilize these neurotransmitters that we need in order to have the free-flowing emotions and access to the broad spectrum of feelings that we naturally should from sadness to happiness, from anger to joy, from love to heartache, all of those things require free flow. And so neurotransmitters, the facilitation, awareness with our body, there are many aspects that come into that. Not everyone has the same ease with all of those factors. And so if you're feeling stuck in a certain place, if you're looking for resources or providers who can support you, please reach out to me. If it's not something I feel I can help you with, I'd love to make a connection there. So nature versus nurture, right? Sometimes we have two parents who are naturally happy. Maybe one of those is naturally happy. And the other one of those has learned some coping techniques or mechanisms, some ways to move themselves towards positive because they have decided, they have discovered that falling into negativity doesn't work for them. So they have done this act consciously or unconsciously of training their brain to find, to draw in, to hold on to those happier experiences so that they're more present. So nature versus nurture, that 50% quote unquote genetic influence, still there's some variety in how that shapes up, right? And then this wonderful skill that we have to adapt, this ability as humans that we have to change, to grow with our environment, to get used to tough times or good times, and then the way that can almost feel like a letdown when we reach a goal, when we reach a finish line for ourselves that we've been aiming for so long and very soon that loses its luster. We're back where we were. We're looking for the next challenge to conquer because sometimes that thrill, that drive, that pursuit 
the stress inherent in that process can become rewarding too, right? As I've talked before, sometimes people choose to drive themselves to draw from the tank of stress because they feel like that's an effective fuel to be always down to the finish line, to be always under the deadline, to be working in some kind of painful circumstance because they believe it pulls out of them their best work. I've been in those situations. I worked in theater for over a decade. I know how those people work and I know how that roller coaster can be. And I can tell you opening night is quite a party when it's pulled off and it all comes together. And it's nice to celebrate that in community, but it's easy to get burned out when your fuel is stress. So how can we bring other fuel into it? What are, can we do with this 40% of latitude that we have? What are the daily practices and habits that we can be cultivating so that our brain starts to honor happiness, gratitude, pleasure, as much as our brain has been biologically wired to respond to stress? And I've gotten into this many times over the years, but fundamentally, we can look at stress as enhancing or debilitating and recognizing that our stress response, that sympathetic stress response to fight, fly, or freeze is simply wired in our most primitive brain to move us away from harm, to move us towards safety, to learn the lessons from harm. That's why we ruminate on stress and painful experiences because we're learning those lessons so that we don't have them come up again. So rather than letting our biological impulses steer the ship, we can use neuroplasticity to our advantage. We can start to put daily attention to things that bring us happiness. We can start to cultivate the gratitude in the things that do so. And gradually over time, our brain recognizes we put as much value in feeling good, in feeling satisfied, in feeling fulfilled and complete as our brain has traditionally put in recognizing and then moving away from stress. So how can we start to wire our brain? How can we create some of these daily practices that are enjoyable, that's something we are happy to add to our already busy schedules, and that start to really bring benefit, measurable benefit to your life? Let's take a look. So in the How of Happiness, you do a quick little assessment to see what kinds of things you enjoy, what kinds of work you do. So I really do highly encourage you to take a look at this book. It's not a cover to cover to read. It's really a get a handle on things up front, see what happiness activities are suggested for you or what captures your attention. And you can come back to it. You can tailor it over time almost consider it like a workbook. And I definitely do suggest you have a journal to start to track your process and habits through this daily and over time full accumulation of practices. Some will work for you and some won't. So let's start keeping a bit of a record book for your journey. So there are 12 happiness activities that are summarized in the book. And first of all, we have a few in the field of practicing gratitude and positive thinking. As I was just saying, this is because our brains can be wired, if you will, to put more value on different experiences. So that's why most people refer to a gratitude practice as a mainstay, right? Many high achievers have this as part of their million dollar morning or end of day reflection exercise. 
practicing gratitude teaches your brain that we want to keep these memories. We want to file this for future reference. We want to come back to this and we want to recognize it when it happens again. So that's why, that's a biological reason why the gratitude practice has been found to improve people's happiness, their positivity set point. And in Sean Aker's research, they found in just 21 days of consistent practice, their study participants were measurably happier at that point. And even if they did not continue their new practice, they were measurably happier for and even six weeks after the completion of the trial. So I really invite you to give it a three week start, stick with it longer than that if you can, but take a look and do assess your starting point, your finishing point, what emotions are coming up for you through the course of an average day. How often in the day do you feel dissatisfied, bored, irritated, angry, alone, happy, content? Give yourself kind of a pie chart so that you can reflect back as you start and move forward. So that gratitude practice, I love that's the top of the charts. That's a wonderful one to start looking at the power that we have to control our minds. Cultivating optimism is another beautiful and powerful way to cultivate happiness. And in Sean Aker's book, Before Happiness, he talks about this positivity quotient, this positivity genius that we that some people naturally have, that other people can develop, in which we look at situations and we can see potential. This positive potential is something that is so fundamental because if you look at a situation and you don't see hope, you don't see how it is possible, you will have less access. You will have less energy, less stamina, less brilliant problem-solving solutions coming to you because you've already talked yourself out of it. You've already tapped out in that game. So instead, when you can start to cultivate optimism, and this isn't toxic positivity, this isn't pretending that truthful things don't exist, that things are not going to go wrong. But when you start to also look for what can go right, look for solutions, look for opportunities, our brain, again, becomes trained to do just that so that in any situation that you're presented with, your brain is used to finding successes. Your brain is used to finding positive alternatives. And so it's going to naturally start looking for those instead of naturally thinking, this is hopeless. This isn't worth our time. We've got other things to do. Bigger fish to fry. I'm checking out on this one, right? So looking for ways to cultivate optimism are very powerful. That's another one. And as I said earlier, choose one of these to take a look at or get the book and see which one, if you have trouble deciding or try one for a week and see if you feel like it's something you enjoy doing. But I encourage you to chart your own course. This really is this path to what brings you joy is a choose your own adventure. What works for me isn't going to work for you. What works for you might not work for me, but I'd love to hear about it. And I invite you to share all along your journey. Another aspect or thing that can help you to practice gratitude and positive thinking is Avoiding overthinking and social comparison. This, again, can be a standalone exercise or new habit to cultivate to feel more positive. And I think that we've all recognized that social media is a lens that is not always helpful. And I'm even hearing in new research or research that validates old research in terms of how much social media can cause depression in people, specifically in teenagers, specifically in teenage girls, 
we are presented more and more evidence to the fact that looking through this social lens, looking through this cultivated, curated picture of what brings other people joy is making us feel isolated, is making us feel alone, is making us feel less than. So if social media is a sticking point for you, perhaps there's a way to scale it back at minimum or eliminate it for a week up to a month. If you can step into that and see how that changes your experience. I'm not saying social media doesn't have its place. It's a wonderful way to foster and maintain connections with people in your life. If you're using it mindfully, as soon as you are not mindful about social media, that's when you fall victim to their algorithms and they've got you right where they want you. They've got you on the mindless scroll, the fake news threads, all of that that can go on and on because that's what they're designing it to do to you. So let's turn the tables on them. Let's look at ways we can avoid overthinking and social comparison, right? Sometimes it's just reminding ourselves that what we see is not all that there is, right? Think of that iceberg photo and you see the iceberg above the ocean and that doesn't look very good, but you know that 90% of that hazard, that risk, that iceberg is below the waterline and you can't even see what's there. So be very aware of what you're aware of there, what you can see to be concerned with because there's so much more happening there below the water. Look for ways to foster authentic relationships with friends, with people who share interests. Maybe your friends don't share your interests, but through your interests, you can expand your social groups. And in those places, you can feel more authentic and aligned and less like you have to present a persona of perfection. The more authentic we can be with ourselves and with each other, the more deeply satisfying it is to simply be ourselves, but also to feel accepted and treasured in those relationships. It's given me warm fuzzies from this last weekend that I spent with dear friends. Such a special, special time. So the next kind of category of happiness activities are practicing acts of kindness. Random acts of kindness are a wonderful way to foster your own happiness, to feel better about yourself because you're bringing happiness to other people. We get by giving. We receive huge gifts by giving to other people. And so practicing random acts of kindness, getting a coffee for someone behind you in line, holding the door for someone, just smiling at someone on the street and acknowledging their humanity instead of breezing by them the way we breeze past so many people in the ongoing business of life. Taking those moments for connection, for authenticity, a really powerful and a beautiful way to shore yourself up and to feel happy and to know that you've brought happiness to someone else. Nurturing social relationships is another happiness activity. And definitely after these years of being isolated and thinking that social media is enough to be engaged, to be connected with other people, nurturing social relationships is so important. We are such creatures of community. But getting back face-to-face, person-to-person in situations where we can meet new people, get to know the people that we already know even better, foster these deep supportive relationships, just where we can feel heard and hear other people receive and lend support are so very powerful. 
And I'll go ahead and share a little bit about my weekend getaway. Some of you, if you listen very carefully, I try to hide my hippie roots here on the show. But ever since I was in college, I have been a huge fan of the band Fish. And if you are familiar with the Grateful Dead, very much like them, Fish have a very devoted group of followers. And given the fact that I left college 24 years ago, 26 years ago, math isn't my forte, but seeing the band whenever they were in the area, because they do travel a lot this weekend, I think I got up to my 40th show in the wonderful company of some of my dearest friends. Some of my college friends, we all got together and eight of us went to shows together this weekend and we danced and we laughed and we made food together and we talked and we connected, we remembered old stories and we created new memories. And that connection, that ability to be present with people who accept me so completely, who care about what I'm creating, where my frustrations and struggles are, who offer me solutions and who simply listen without offering solutions is such a deep gift. I know that I'm still riding high on it, but even months from now, looking back on this opportunity to take time away, to make this time for myself, to put a priority on these social connections, on dancing and movement, which feels so great. You hear me recommend all the time to drop a dance break in your day. It comes from those hippie roots. And all of that benefit, there was certainly a financial investment and required. There was missing some work. There were covering some shifts and it was all so worth it. And I would do it again. And I might next time they come through town. That's one of the beautiful things of having bands, musical experiences, live events to give us incentive to make it happen. Because if we don't put it on the calendar, if we don't commit to doing the thing, life is going to keep on filling up around the edges. We're not going to have those opportunities for connection. We're not going to get to be with the people who bring us joy, right? We're going to get stuck doing extra hours at work. We're going to get stuck spending the entire weekend cleaning the house and not getting out in the fresh air, enjoying the sun, sitting down on a hammock or a beach towel, making your own little mini vacation where you are with what you have. So I, if nothing else inspires you from the episode, I do hope that this will inspire you to maybe reach out to an old friend who you've lost touch with and you feel like it's been too long. Just make that effort. You can always apologize for life getting in the way and say, I'd like things to change. How can we start? How can I be available to you? How can I support you? How can we get back on track and make up for some of this lost time? So another aspect of happiness activities that you can cultivate, that you can foster, that can do a little bit more work because sometimes happiness is work. It's a muscle that you build, right? That's how I really think of that neuroplasticity is that it's the muscle of happiness that's worth working out in regard to how we can manage stress and hardship, how we can resolve and move through trauma. These aren't pleasant tasks, but it's something that I hope everyone who struggles with these areas feels compelled to do at some point. When you're feeling strong enough, when you're feeling ready, or even before you are, it's so important to resolve these things. Because like I said earlier, we can't be running with our fuel only drawing from the stress tank, right? We can't be forming our life moving forward to avoid the things that have traumatized us or 
to put the bumpers on the rest of the world because we're afraid of getting hurt again. We are extraordinarily resilient beings. We don't become resilient by living in a beautiful, idyllic world. Resilience is another of these muscles, right? By surviving, by learning how to move through, by reclaiming our life, our happiness, our independence, our strength, we are able to meet more. Not to say we're asking for more, that's not the case, but just to recognize how strong we really are, how much we are not limited by what has happened to us, by what has been done to us, by what life has served up for us, but instead to take a look at how these lessons can become launch pads and how we can dig deep and maybe do some hard work to come out of it with the confidence in ourselves and the vision of what we would like to call down next, right? Looking for ways that we can be inspired or informed by our past experiences instead of limited and restrained and restricted by those. So again, if this is somewhere where you feel stuck, I urge you to reach out to me. I'd love to have a talk with you about it, offer you some suggestions. And if there's a better match and someone that you could be working with, I'd love to make that connection because I don't think anyone should be held back by the trauma that we've all experienced. And everyone has, whether it's a big T trauma, a major life event, critical situation, imminent harm, threat, assault, or if it's little T traumas, if it's the things that as a little person, you just didn't have the capacity to understand and you didn't have the loving support and nurturing that you need to put it in perspective then. Those little T traumas that ride around with us, that make us feel unloved or unlovable, that make us feel incapable or not enough. We can turn that all around. We can be the loving parent to our small self that we need to have. And then we have that skill to support ourselves moving forward, right? Every tool that we acquire is a tool that we then have in our toolkit to bring out later. So how can we have strategies for coping, right? There's a lot of coping that we do in life. Fundamentally, coping is either based on the problem itself, what can we do to resolve the problem itself? Or if the problem is bigger than us, if the problem is immovable, if the problem is like the loss of a loved one or the end of a relationship, how do we cope with the emotions, right? Because if we're in denial of the situation, we're not trying to resolve it or move through it, it's only going to get more difficult. If we're not coping with the emotions, in a healthy way, if we're trying to stuff those emotions down, bottle them up, move past it without doing the dirty work of sitting there and being miserable for a while, moving through the tunnels of emotions, as Emily and Amelia Nagoski love to say. If we're sitting outside that cave, terrified to take a look at it, that emotion is always going to have power over us. But when we learn how to cope with emotions, as we learn to sit with emotions, to be present to what we're feeling, that is a really extraordinary superpower. Also, I love the work of Hillary Jacobs Hendel and her work with the change triangle. Her book is called It's Not Always Depression. I'll link that one as well in the show notes. And she has a wonderful training program called Emotions 101, which I can provide. And if there's interest there, 
I would set that up to be coming up in the next two to three months. So let me know if you'd like to move through that in a space with some other people who are interested in digging deep and taking a look at what this means, what these emotions are, what authenticity is, how we are hiding from emotions, numbing out, and afraid to look below the waterline, right? Together, we can have that courage to start to dig in below the waterline so we can really shift things. Another powerful way to manage stress and trauma, to help to move back towards happiness. And this is a, a difficult one. There's a lot that gets tied up in forgiveness. But learning how to forgive, right? Learning how to not just let other people off the hook. That's not what it's really about. It's learning how to let yourself off the hook. You don't have to keep holding that lesson over yourself. You've learned the lesson. You can stop holding up all that energy and intensity and emotion over other people and what has been done to you. You've learned the lesson. Move forward and learn to release that. That energy that you're holding against someone or something isn't doing nearly the damage or harm or impact to them that it is doing to yourself. And it can be really holding you back when it comes to not only finding your happiness, but understanding what brings you happiness, because you've really taught your brain that your attention is on what brings you stress and sadness and heartbreak and anxiety. So how can you flip the script? How can you take less importance in that, forgive the thing, the person, the time, your mistake, so that you can release that attachment, so that you have your hands open to receive more different things. I hope you're writing down what stands out to you. Maybe first, second, have, give yourself a couple to work through as you move on. So another aspect of cultivating more happiness, and this is something that I'm really passionate about after spending time working in different jobs, a number of different jobs, but in different situations where I would wake up on Monday and wish it was Friday until I realized I'm wishing away five-sevenths of my life. We can't grind through five days of work and think that the weekend is going to bring things back to rights, right? We've got to find ways to sprinkle little happiness incidents throughout the week, Put yourself first. What's the self-care? What's the exercise that helps you feel balanced, that helps you sleep better at night? What's the food that helps your body feel nourished so you don't numb out and self-soothe by eating food that you know is bad for you and then you feel bad for, about yourself? So how can we live in the present? This is the category that we're up to. How can we live in the present to foster more happiness? That is definitely about not putting off your joys or your pleasures. Savor life's joys. Give yourself the experience. Look for ways to bring it into your life in healthy ways, like beautiful, nourishing, delicious food, like activity that you actually enjoy that isn't a total drudge to get yourself to a gym to do a class that you hate. How can you make it joyful? And how can you savor them? right? Journaling at the end of the day is a wonderful way to review, to bring yourself back to what was present, what came up for you, to track your progress. Telling friends 
asking friends for support, telling friends about what went right for you, just that act, you know, and asking your friends what went right for them. Sometimes, as I already said, our brain is wired to respond to stress. It takes a little practice to start recalling what went great for me today. So be the one to inspire that in your social network. Ask your friends what went great today. Help them develop that gratitude practice right? And learn to savor life's joys. I think that's such a beautiful invitation. And increasing flow experiences. Mihai Csikszentmihalyi is the father of flow. He wrote the book literally before he passed from this plane, but he has extraordinary insights into the power and the foundations of flow. And again, flow comes from a sweet spot of stress, right? So just like resilience, we don't cultivate these in a life free of stress, but how can you use it? What's the inciting incident? Is it desiring a goal and being focused on that? Is it having just a little bit of performance anxiety and what you're sitting down to do? Is it being like a novice all over again, using that beginner's mindset? How can you drop into what you're doing so completely that you're engrossed, that your attention is completely here, that time starts to fall away, that distractions don't come up. I'm the queen of distraction. My brain loves to hunt for squirrels when I'm not comfortable with what I'm doing or creating. How can you set yourself up for a flow experience? What's your optimal work style, situation, time of day, short Pomodoro blocks or a long uninterrupted session? Get to know yourself so you can know how to foster and cultivate those states of flow. And then really relish that experience of being so engrossed in something. And again, let your mind know this is a beautiful way to be. I love being so present for this. How can I be more present in the other things that I'm doing? Live in the present. Another wonderful aspect of cultivating more happiness, and this pairs well with what I was just talking about, is committing to your goals. Finding a goal, committing to that goal, following through on it, building that confidence in yourself and your abilities, but also the way in which you create goals. Because it's so important to not pin all of our satisfaction and success on a finish line. Because as Sean Aker says, we keep moving the finish line, right? We move what the project is supposed to look like. We change deadlines. We change teams. We change situations. A move happens. A health issue happens. And so all of these goals are out here, down the line, way down the field. And we, when we feel like we never get to them, we lose that confidence and faith in our abilities. So how can we break that down? First of all, find milestones that help you know you're on the right track. So you can say, oh, we're right here. I'm in this stage. I was going to celebrate this. I want to recognize that I am further along than I was. I'm going to celebrate this in this fashion. I encourage you to create a plan. And then you feel motivated to keep on going. You're recognizing along the way that you're making progress. So just in case somebody moves that finish line, you still have developed confidence and appreciation of your own fortitude and abilities. So breaking it down into doable pieces. So you have more than just one goal to succeed at, right? A series of goals culminating in the big finish, but also make sure 
that they are aligned. So look at how your goals can be aligned for you and not created by the other people in your life. Obviously at work, people might hand you goals that aren't you know, what you would choose and that can be difficult, but look for ways to be aligned in what you are working towards so that you feel that satisfaction in what you're creating. When we bring things into the world that we are satisfied with, that we're proud of, it's a total game changer than drudging through the work week. And if you're in a J-O-B, if you go and clock in your 40 and that is that, and you get a great paycheck and it means you get your weekends or your evenings to do things that you love, what kind of goals can you create for yourself there? Maybe a goal is to take this mini vacations or to take this big vacation or to create these kinds of things in your free time, in your home space, to optimize your home, to declutter your home, to get crafty, to get busy with your hands so that you have things that resonate with you, right? Just because work might not resonate with you doesn't mean you have to give up that work. It means bring more meaning to other areas of your life. Find goals that you're aligned with and that you enjoy pursuing. And finally, in the home stretch, we're looking at ways that you can foster your happiness. And these are in ways that you are taking care of your body and your soul. One of those practicing religion or spirituality, or if you prefer personal development, but basically looking for ways to grow right? Ways to deepen your understanding, ways to get perspective, because when life is really hard and you're really in the thick of it, it is really hard to see what this is all for. But if you can find something to give meaning to the drudge work, to the daily grind, if you can put that into relationship with what you're contributing to, with what you're gaining from it, with what you will be able to do on the other side, with how you can support the people that you love with the work that you do. Take a look at that. Take a look at how maybe that for you, that's faith. For me, that's spirituality. For someone else, they like to keep it nice and clean. Let's just do the personal development. It's me. (laughs) I am the I am. But get to know yourself and what helps to create that perspective and context that helps overwhelming situations feel a little less overwhelming because we certainly can and justifiably. But perspective is powerful, my friends. And I invite you to find ways to build in those benchmarks so you can find ways to get an eye on things and to understand this too shall pass. And then finally, and I'm a big fan of this, I'm a self-care singing sister, taking care of your body as a way to cultivate happiness because you're worth it and your body is worth it. Look at all these extraordinary processes your body does every day. We are wildly improbable and miraculous beings. I love to say that, and I've been saying it a lot lately, so I'm going to share that with you right here and now. We are wildly improbable and miraculous beings. We are resilient. We are strong. We are tough and we need care. We are like a very high-end car. So take this McLaren in the garage and give it a buff and polish and, you know, wax up those tires, (laughs) whatever it takes. Give her a spa day. Um, Meditation is a wonderful way to take care of your 
mental body, your emotional body, um, physical activity, rest, ways to take care of your physical body. What can you do, right? How can you take good care of yourself and start to cultivate these habits? Because maybe this isn't a habit that you've ever been taught before. Maybe this isn't something you've ever given yourself permission to do, because why would you put yourself first? There's other things to do and people need things from you and you come somewhere at the end of the line. This is where we need to flip the script. When you take care of yourself, when you fill your own cup, you have more to give to the people that you love, to the work that you're doing, to the life that you're creating. So it might seem backwards. It seems selfish to put yourself first, but I'm telling you, I'm telling you that when you take care of your emotional body, your physical body, your mental state, when you find out what works for you for self-care, when you find out what makes you happy from this list or something that didn't make it on the list, tell me what we missed. This is when you get that self-worth, you get that confidence, you get that deep self-love and appreciation, and that spills over. You have to respect yourself enough that other people recognize the respect that you deserve. And this is an important lesson that I have struggled with and been learning myself. And I often hear myself saying the things that I need to hear. And I hope that is something that lands with you too. By respecting yourself, by recognizing how inherently phenomenal you are, how perfectly imperfect along this journey that you are on, you will give yourself the love that you need and you will naturally, without even trying, you will begin drawing to you the love that you deserve, right? But it's an inside job. It starts on the inside. And so I implore you, I ask you, I urge you to take a look at how you can start taking better care of your body, physical, emotional, mental, your whole beautiful package. So I hope I didn't give you too much of a shopping list. There's some really great ideas here. As I've said, the book is fantastic. I've mentioned some other ones, so I'll have links to those in the show notes. And then I just want to leave you with two, you know, once you've cultivated these practices, as you've building your happiness muscle and raising your positivity set point, how can we keep it going? How can we maintain what we're building? right? Because we want this to all come into flow. We want to build on this momentum and keep moving in the right direction. Positive emotion is obviously an, an easy way, right? It's one of those contagious things. The more you experience happiness, the more you find happiness, the more you share happiness, the more you experience it. It's a beautiful spiral. There's actually research that says there's three degrees of positivity, so for example, I myself, by being a positive person, which I endeavor to do, I build that muscle, I make that effort. It is worth it for me. I don't mind the effort. My positivity can impact the people that I meet, but beyond them, the second degree, the people that they meet, and even beyond them, the third degree. So we have the power to influence three degrees of happiness as we move through life. So I hope that is a little bit of an inspiration to you and cultivating this positive emotion and getting that momentum going. Momentum is a powerful force. All we have to do is break out of inertia. 
it's helpful. Think about if you're struggling with any of these practices, how can you employ optimal timing and variety, right? Don't choose one thing and then stick with it. Grind it out, even if it's not fun for you, even if you're not enjoying it. This is fun, right? We're practicing happiness. Mix it up. Do what works for you. If a gratitude practice in the morning doesn't work, try a gratitude practice at night. If meditation in the morning doesn't work for you, try meditation for five to 10 minutes on your lunch break and totally change up your work style. So play around with that experiment. Find out what works for you because we are all completely unique and different. Enlist some social support. Another beautiful way to get this movement started in yourself, but also to grow this movement amongst your friends and the people that you love. Maybe make it a dare, make it a challenge, find an accountability buddy. What brings you happiness? What are you going to do this week to bring yourself happiness? Did you do the thing, right? Make it fun, make it light and, and bring more people on board, get this movement going. You can also take a look at how to maintain your motivation. What kind of commitment works for you? Do you need to check things off on a box? Do you want a prize after you've done it consistently for a week or for 10 days out of 14? Or what kind of reasonable goal can you create for yourself? And how can you motivate yourself? Reward yourself for all the small wins. And then finally, as you're working through this, as you're moving through these paces and trying these things out, you'll discover that you're creating these habits, right? That you can think of them as Lego blocks, as Jana Danielson beautifully described in her podcast and talking about in rituals. How can we take these pieces that work for us and put them together when we have more time, come down to the basics when we have less time, recognize we need a little extra support, bring in some supplemental blocks. How can we create these habits take advantage of these habits, learn to draw from these and keep on building from this foundation. Whew, we covered a lot of ground today. I hope that some of this is bringing you some ideas, some fresh sparks. I'd love to hear from you over on happifiedlife.com in the comments there below this episode's audio and video players or over in the Facebook group at Live With Less Stress. Hop on and let me know what you think. Let me know one thing you're going to do today to start cultivating more happiness in your life. I can't wait to hear what's in store and I'll keep you posted there too. Sending you great big love, my dear friends. Take good care of yourself. Thanks for joining us today. To learn more about living life with less stress and more flow, visit happifiedlife.com. Subscribe on your favorite player to catch the next episode as soon as it's out. Sharing really is caring, so please rate and review the show while you're there. And if you know someone else who would love it, please pass it along. Until next time, my friends. Keep on shining.